Listener Production. G'day, you are listening to episode 96 of the Howie Games, part B, featuring NRL supercoach Craig Bellamy. Roll on. Eight grand finals in the time at the Melbourne Storm. It's an extraordinary record and I was, I was looking through it, mate. Winning percentage is 69%. The first time you win a grand final, so you won 07, 09, and then the two more recent ones, 12 and 17. Do you enjoy the grand final wins enough or are you the type of bloke that, right, we've ticked that box and I wake up two days later and how are we going to get better? Like, do, do you Have you smelt the roses enough over the journey? No. No, it was only um, – I remember um, a couple of, you know, guys talked to – you know, for you a little bit with Roy Masters and, and John Rubo. Yep. Um, at different stages of my career, they've, they, they've said that. John Early he was our CEO when I first, he's the guy that got me down here uh, originally and then Roy was the same. And, um, yeah, I, like there's been some times I look back and think, you know, you know I, I, I was always looking towards the next year. I was always, you know, what have we got to do to be ready for the next pre-season? And, and even, um, you know, some of the, you know, the nights like after of the grand finals and, you know, a couple of days later that, that something come up and, you know, that would sort of, I suppose, I'd be immersed in, in thinking about those things. And I, I suppose one example, and this is, um, I suppose, um, an event that, you know, just basically happened to us and, but... It just goes to show, I suppose, sometimes how um, something emotional that you know that resonates with you that you know you've gone through a bit of hurt about, and then it it raises its head a bit later. Like we went through that salary cap time in, in 2010, 2011. We started you know rebuilding our club again because you know we were decimated you know, throughout ten at the end of ten, and then. We made a grand final in 12 and against the, the, the Bulldogs and um, we ended up winning that grand final. And I remember as we were coming back, um, like we'd done our lap of honour, then, then we come into the into the dressing room and I remember seeing there was about five, six or seven, five or six guys that had played in 07 and 09 that had lost their premierships. And the one thing about, you know, again... I sort of don't want to get into the, you know, the, the salary cap scandal year, but the most unfair thing that happened in that was players lost their premierships. Players didn't do the wrong thing. It was the club that done the wrong thing, not the players. So they had players lose their premierships, although it was, was really wrong and, and really tough. And as we come into the dressing room, the first part, there's a, there's a front room out the back and then there's like the, the, the bigger mustard, uh, mustard room. As I come through, I, you know, I've seen a few ex-players there. Like it was, it was uh, Brett White, I think Steve Turner, Mick Crocker, Matt Guy was there. Um, I think Adam Blair might have been there as well. So and I probably forgot someone there. But all those guys were, you know, just sort of seen them there. That, 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 those are guys that played in, in seven and, and nine and lost their premierships. So I just sort of, you know, waved and I said, I'll, I'll be back out in a minute. So we just went in and I had a little bit of a talk and then, you know, a few of the, the guys got the champagne out and started spraying, you know, champagne all over the place and, you know, it was just yeah, you do after grand finals, which was great. You know, it was, it was, it was great to win a grand final after, especially a lot of those guys, what they went through in 2010 and 11. So I, got, I went back out the front 10 minutes later to have a chat to these guys and there was – Probably about three or four of them that actually had had tears in their eyes, and um, mm. they weren't crying, but they had tears in their eyes. It was an emotional day for them, and I just thought, basically at that time, that they were really happy. It was just probably tears of joy that they were really happy that you know we we'd won a premiership again. You, you can't replace premierships, but you know we'd won one again. But then later on, we got got on the bus and we headed back to the airport. I thought. How many of those guys perhaps were thinking that, you know, that while they were still glad that we'd won that premiership, but they might never, ever get a chance to win a premiership again after they'd lost theirs? Mm. Um, and, and I wouldn't blame them for thinking like that 
if, if they were. But what should have been nearly the best night of my footy career, you know, my, my footy life, especially coaching after coming back, you know, from that salary cap era to, to win a premiership in two years, um, that really spoiled it for me for probably a week when I, I really felt for those players that had lost their, their premierships. And they were playing at other clubs then. And, you know, I don't think any of them... Uh, I don't think Greg Ignis was there that night, but he, he did win a premiership after that. But the other guys never ever got a chance to, to get a premiership back. And, you know, that that, that stuck with me for, for a long time. And um, so, yeah, like I say, I, I, I suppose that that... that that's just my personality as well. You know, always thinking of other things instead of probably, you know, what's just passed. I'm always sort of moving on to the to the next thing when something finishes. You know, I don't think too far ahead either, but, you know, but at times, you know, I think probably I stay in the moment. Um, not not for long either, but just think about what needs to happen next. But I, I really found it hard after after that 2012. But obviously, the fact that you want to move on straight away is probably why you've had so many of those moments along the way because yeah, you, yeah, you continually push things forward. Yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned the salary cap and and doing a bit of reading. I think it's pretty much almost exactly ten years ago. Um, how'd you find out? Like, do you get a phone call? Like, h- how do you find out that? But before you answer that, a simple question. Um, and I heard Cam Smith talk about this. I, I haven't heard you talk about it. Do you consider yourself a four-time premiership coach with the Melbourne Storm or a two-time premiership coach with the Melbourne Storm? That's probably the toughest question I'm going to ask you, I guess. No, it's not tough. Four? Four, yep. I, I think that's how your players see it. So how would you find out, mate, that it was all kicking off? Storm Rorts. The NRL takes unprecedented action against Melbourne for breaching the salary cap. The elaborate links that they went to to hide the payments was quite extraordinary. Storm management duck for cover as their premierships are stripped. Yeah, well, the, the day before it all came out, it was the 22nd of April uh, in 2010 when um, we found out what the penalties were. And um, the night before that... Um, um, I can't actually remember a time, but I was called into a meeting with the CEO, and I think um, our chairman might have been there at that time as well, and said there's there's been some um, you know some some issues with the salary cap over you know whatever, and um, so yeah, um, the next couple of days you know it's kind of come to a head. I didn't even know there was any investigation going on, whatever. So. But we were, the next day we were just about to go out and train and um, I think it might have been Frank Panisi said, oh, mate, we've got to go to a meeting with the CEO and, and you know, whatever. And I said, mate, we're, we're trained now. I'll, I'll, I'll catch up with you after training. He said, no, no, you've got to come now. <laughs> so I went over and um, and that's that's when I learned about it, um, learned about, you know, the penalties. David and- Gallup confronted with the biggest scandal to hit the game, shocked everyone with the punishment. The penalty will be the stripping of three minor premierships and two premierships. The return of $1.1 million in prize money that will be distributed to the other 15 clubs evenly. A fine of $500,000. So what's your initial thought? Like, you, you've put in the hard work. We don't need to go on the rights and wrongs of it because that's the football club on an administrative level, not not as a playing group. But like, before we get to the players, and I know you're going to talk about how you felt for the players, but how would you feel yourself? Oh, again, I just – I think the whole – it was a shock first. You know, we all, all went through a whole heap of different emotions at different times, you know. Sometimes I think there was frustration. There was certainly anger there. There was – Certainly, poor me. Was is that you know, like everyone thought that at some stage, you know. But um, I think different, differing emotions at different times was probably the hardest thing for me as, as the coach to handle. Um, Did you ever pull anyone aside from above and say, "What the bloody hell happened here? Like, what, why, why has this happened to us? What have you done?" Or is it just you just well at that time, the the guys are in, in charge of our club. Yep. At that time when it happened, they weren't at our club no more. You know, that, that they'd right. left, that they'd left. So, and the one thing I, you know, we, like, you know, I heard about the, 
the the sanctions or the penalties, whatever you like to call them, you know, through our CEO and our chairman at that time. And I told the players. Um, but no one ever come down and, you know, bef- and explained what, well, we knew what the penalties were, but why the penalties were what they were and, and, and what went on, you know. Um, no one from the NRL did that for a, a fair while, you know. That was a long way down the track before that they come down. So, um, so, so yeah, like, it was such a big shock um, and it was, like I say, we, we didn't really know, I didn't really know what, um, why the penalties were what they were and I think that was the, the thing that, you know, us as a club, hmm. you know, the coaches, players, everybody, what, you know, what's happened here for these penalties to be what they were and um so what the players say like how, how do you have that conversation you said you told the players like do you get them around the group and say right boys i got some bad news or like what what do you say craig well we called them in and said you know and you know you, you taught the players now they all thought this is great you know the train session's been called short so um <laughs> a few of them said that but they said they all sat down they were all sort of joking and laughing and then when mm-hmm. i walked in the room um, there's a few of them said, you know, the look on his face, um, they knew there was something, <laughs> something big sort of that, that happened. Um, yeah, I think there's a few of them, a couple of them thought that, you know, uh, someone might have died. I remember a couple of, you know, guys sort of said that to me 12 months after. So, yeah, so it was a, a really tough time. And, um, and uh, yeah, some, I think a reporter asked me, uh, on uh, it was Wednesday when it was the 10 year anniversary of it and yeah. they asked me is it similar to what's happening now you know with the coronavirus and obviously I said I suppose it would be similar if you took life overall it probably is a little bit similar but just us as a footy club as a footy team and just keeping it in, within within footy mate this is a walk in the park a slow walk in the park on a beautiful day to what happened in 2010 to us, you know, as far as footy goes. It was it was a horrendous year. But, um, again, going back to what saved our club, you know, I still, you know, I firmly believe what saved our club, why we're still here, is because of what the players did on the field in, in, in 2010 and then, you know, the, the guys that come in in 2011, what they did. Um, without that, I don't think our club would be here. So there's a couple of things that stick in my memory as a as someone that comes in and out of rugby league and, and, and watches the storm more than anyone else is your press conference. I don't know if it was the day after when the players came out on the park with you. Yeah. Before you even spoke that day, it was like, wow, these blokes – they still look really united. And that was before you'd even spoken, Craig. I don't know if it if it's a special thing to you, but I remember watching it and think, wow, that's um that's a show of unity. Yeah, I, um, obviously there was as I said, like last Wednesday was the ten year anniversary and there's been a lot of people ask me that, you know, what does that photo mean to me? Well at the time and even after it it, it doesn't mean a, a, a lot to me, but uh, in that I don't, you know, a lot of things that happened through that year, that 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 wasn't one of the top five, I suppose, that, that stuck in my mind, but it sticks in a lot of other people's mind. Um, mm. And you're saying exactly that. So yes. the one thing I do remember about it and the one thing, you know, again, I, you know, go through different emotions of what you think you should do and what you think you shouldn't do. And the one thing I, because I was going to, I, I thought that I, I it was up to me just to go out and, and make some sort of statement, you know, on behalf of the players. Not so much the club, but on, on behalf of the players. And when they found out, they said, well, we're going with you. you you're not going out there to face them on, on your own. Because as you can imagine, it was it was fairly uh, oh. volatile, you know, in the press and, and, and whatever. And so they said, hey, you ain't going out there on your own, which was... At the end of the day, I'm thinking, you know, I'm not a little boy. I, I, I could do this on my own. But they basically said, no, we're going with you. So, um, and 
it, it, those words just weren't mine either. There was some of, especially our, our, our leaders, uh, our senior players, wanted to put some of those, some of the things I said in there. And, you know, obviously I, I had to agree to that because I was the one that was saying it. But the one thing that um, I suppose stood, stood out to me, there was some fairly strong um, things that I, I, I said there about, you know, what we're going to do and, you know, how we're going to get through this. And for me being out there saying it, I reckon that because I've always been a, a guy that, you know, actions speak louder than words and I think we're all that. But after I, I said those things, you know, I thought to myself, I've got to live these things now too. This has been without doubt the toughest 48 hours of our sporting life. We have been gutted with what has transpired in recent days. Our greatest accomplishments and what we cherish most have been taken away from us by the harshest of penalties. I love this club. I love these players. These players love our club. This club is a great club. It's a strong club. It's a very proud club. It also has been a successful club. This is why we stand here today united. We are not going anywhere. We ain't going to surrender. We, as we stand here today united, we are not going anywhere. We ain't going to surrender. We, as people and as, rugby, as a rugby league club, have a huge role to play in Victoria, which we are most proud of. We will not walk away from this challenge. We will stand up for ourselves and we will fight our way back from here. That fight starts today, and tomorrow it starts on the field. So that kept me on track. I, if I hadn't have, if I had just said some, you know, just some cl- cliche things, I'm not quite sure I would have been as, as motivated as I was. But when I said, you know, there's some strong words about, hey, we, we ain't going away. This is going to be a fight, and we're going to stand up and fight. Well, if I'm saying that, I need to do that. And I think that's what really channeled my vision into, okay, I've said that now, I've got to back that up. And um, I think that was one thing that, that, that kept kept me going, you know, through that time. I mean, the cut that, like, and, you know, through, through those times, it's just the, the amount of support you get from your family too. Because it is, at the end of the day, you know, we're all, especially me being the coach, I know I was, you know, I, I got it. I got investigated. I was investigated by Deloitte. I was investigated by the NRL, and that, that comes with the territory. We, we, we all were, you know, that in that position. But where it's unfair is is, is the families. The families cop heaps. You know, I mean, my mum copped a lot of abuse in her, her, her small town. You know, she didn't do anything wrong, but she cops abuse. But the, I had wonderful support from my family, and I remember. I don't tell too many people this, so you're lucky. Well, not lucky, Harry, but uh, how are you? But, you know, my daughter sent me um, a little poem down, a little saying. Uh, it was in a frame and whatever. And basically between me saying what I said and, hey, I, I, I need to do that. I, I need to put those actions into, into actions now. And uh, I, I need that days out. I've said it, so I need to back it up. And she sent me a this frame that said, everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. And I read that, I reckon <laughs> I read that twice every night and that helped keep, keep me going too because it wasn't okay. You know, a lot of our players were doing it really tough. They were cop- copping the whole heap in the press where, again, I'll repeat, you know, I understand that something had to happen because of, of what the club did, but for what the players were going through and to take away their premierships when they did nothing wrong. That's the thing that sort of, you know, that kept me going. But that little, what's the name, that just goes to show, you know, you need your family around you and, um, and you know, how they can help, you know, when you're going through tough times. Final question on this, and that's a great story. So, so you've set yourself by what you've set out at, I think it was probably Amy Park that day. So you had another... 20 games of which I don't know how in professional sport, I think you you probably won 10 or so of them. D- did you ever get to the point? Because everyone on the outside is looking, these bikes are running out every Saturday or Sunday or Friday night and what they are doing is pointless. Like It's pointless. It has no point. They will finish bottom of the ladder. 
Did you ever get to a point yourself where you, this is pointless? In the 2010 season, all competition points earned thus far will be taken away and the team shall not accrue any further points in the 2010 season. Um, no, no, I, I didn't. Um, and I don't think the, the players probably did for a little bit. I, I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say I didn't, but I probably did for a little bit. Now, it was only, as you say, six rounds. The first two games after, after it all happened, we won convincingly. We beat the Warriors here at home. I think we went to the Cowboys had a good win up there. But that was, we were just running on pure emotion at that time. It was basically stuff you will show you. you well, you've got a point got. to prove at that stage, haven't you? Like, yeah, yeah it's, it's to stick it up. Yeah. yeah, but with all due respect, that emotion we were running on for those two games, um, it fell away reasonably quickly. Um, <laughs> in that you just can't play every week on emotion like that. But having said that, like I was, a little part of the problem. Well, I was part of the problem too, big part of the problem. Yeah, you know, we weren't preparing for the games like we would if we were playing for points. And again, I think we all thought, <laughs> we all agreed, you know, the leaders and myself, that, okay, we'll just cut a little bit off training. We won't probably train as hard. We won't have as many meetings. The reviews and previews won't be, you know, as detailed as, as they used to be. You know, what's the point? You know, I don't think anyone ever said, what's the point? But I think that's what we all thought. But after about three weeks of that, we were playing up and down. We weren't playing anywhere near to what, you know, we're, we're capable of playing. So I just, um, we all decided to draw a line in the sand and, and go back to doing, to doing this as if we're playing for points to do what, what we'd been doing before. And, and, and I, I just sort of made the point that I thought we were let, letting our teammates down, um, letting ourselves down. And, and more than anything else, probably letting our fans down. And Melbourne were, were, were wonderful during that time. You know, we had more people come to our games to support us in what we were going through. Mm. So we owed them. And, um, yeah, and there was like, mate, like we could be here for, for a week, mate, telling you know, some of the stories and, and what happened and, you know, good times about, you know, through that time. But um, we ended up winning, I think, 14 games that year. And the year before when we won the grand final, we only won 14 games. So for those guys to do what they did for 20 weeks... Um, when you're, again, basically playing for nothing was quite remarkable. And, um, you know, as I said, you know, the club really needs to, you know, congratulate that team because if they'd have, if they'd have packed the tents up, you know, the, and, and, and just fold off for the rest of the year, I don't know where, where we would have been in the club. And to be quite honest, you know, we lost 14 players after that after that, at the end of that year, and they were good players, Inglis, Hoffman, White, Lima, Finch, um, you know, the, the, there was a whole heap of good Tolman. players left. Yeah, Tolman, Aiden Tolman, you know, we, we lost a lot of good players. And we so brought players that, in from, you know, like reserve grade and other clubs that weren't playing first grade, we brought two guys out of retirement. Um, and those guys, what they did in 2011 was just as remarkable. And, you know, we won a minor premiership that year. Yes. And I don't know. We had there was no, yeah. We had a. We were just playing on fitness, guts, and you know trying to prove everybody wrong. And those guys that come that played in ten and eleven, um, you know, as a club, we, we owe them a whole loop. And then won the premiership in twelve. Oh, he's relaxed. He's finally. He's finally let down. And is now able to celebrate this win by a wonderful side, the Melbourne Storm, taking the grand final of 2012 as they did in 1999 in just their second year. And this is... um this is the one question I've wanted to always ask you, Craig, because you mentioned Tolman, Lima, Hoffman, Inglis, Finch, White. Every season in rugby league, there seems to be quite a high turnover of players, including in season. I'm comparing it to the AFL world now, which is what I'm more familiar. How do you continually get a group of blokes that haven't succeeded at other clubs in their careers or reserve players that you mentioned in 2011, how do you continually lose the amount of players you are and get a new group in that individually haven't succeeded, yet you get them in a group 
and achieve success? Like, how, how do you do that year in, year out? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we part of our recruiting mentality is to, to get good people in our organisation. And um, I suppose, you know, we've got a, a um, I suppose, a, a definition of what we think a, a good person is. So we, we try and, and get those people into our club. What basically is it? What what basically is a good person according to Melbourne Storm in a, in a short Well, nutshell. again, we, we can't. Um, our mentality is, you know, they'll fit in to what the club's about and they'll care for their teammate. Yeah, you know, well, we, we can't, you know, we can't give them a, a test to know that's going to happen, but we can do a bit of homework on them. And to be quite honest, I, I watch players playing. I, I reckon most of the time I can tell what sort of Blake he is off the field by the way he plays. I know that sound, sounds a bit stupid, but I reckon I've got a little art of doing that. Um, so to get players to come here, again, I just simplify things. So if, if, they're, if, if they're kids and I haven't seen them play much, you know, if they're not NRL players, um, that makes it a little bit harder, so I sort of rely on our recruiting guys on that. But if they've played NRL, I've seen them play. Um, and I, I suppose, you know, I know, I think I know what their weaknesses will be and I'll know what their strengths are. So when they come here, I'll give them two or three things that they'll have to do and do well to play NRL. So, and again, I'm not going to want them to do something that they ain't capable of doing. I'll just give them two or three things that they need to do well. Sometimes that's part of their strengths. There might be one, you know, one where they need to be a little bit better or um, it might be position specific on what we expect of your position in our team. So I'll give them two or three things. You need to work hard on them. You need to do them well in the game. If you do those well in the game, you know, playing reserve grade or training, you're a good chance of playing first grade. If you don't, well, you're probably not going to play first grade here. So basically, then it's up to them. It's, it's, they're responsible how hard they want to work at doing those things because that's what we're going to need them to do in our team. And then, you know, off we go. More of Craig in a tick. Enormous response to last week's episode featuring NBA champion Paddy Mills. And from the feedback I got on social media at MarkOut03, it seems you good people loved Paddy as much as I did. His stories were touching and heartfelt, like this one about his coach at the Spurs, Greg Popovich. I'll be honest with you, mate. A, a cool story that I don't know if a, a lot of people know, but right before um, game one of the NBA Finals in 2014, we're up against Miami. We haven't we haven't even had a practice yet or prepared for the heat, right? We've worked our whole season um, in 2014 to get back to this stage so that we can have some redemption on, on the year prior. Um, and I remember walking into the film room because we had a film um, meeting that was that was scheduled before practice. So the whole team walks in there. We sit down on the seats, and and you know, Coach Pop gets up, um, and the first thing that he asks everyone, he's like, "Do you know what day it is today?" And everyone kind of just stopped and looked at him. You know, oh, well, isn't today we're meant to be talking about LeBron James and Miami Heat? And there was silence, but he goes. Today is the 3rd of June and it's Marbo Day. Does anyone know what Marbo Day is? Wow. And I kind of, like even now just saying this story, like, you, you know, like rock drops in your throat and this thing, I was like, is he, he's not talking about like Eddie Marbo, you know, what I think he's talking about, is he? And sure enough, he goes into a full in-depth um, little spill about who Eddie Marbo is and the impact that he had on uh, Australian history um, and how massive he was and, and comparing it to, um, you know, Martin Luther King in, in that sense, right? And you can imagine me, like, I'm just sitting there, you know, eyes like this. I was like, no way this is happening. I'm meant to be talking about um, LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and that, but but he did, and and he even put a photo up on uh, on the TV on on the slideshow, um, and it was him in his shirt, you know, big afro, big beard, so that everyone could uh, get a picture of of who he was talking about. And mate, um, after that, he's like, well, 
you know, that's it for for today. Let's let's head out on the floor and talk about Miami Heat. So that that's a memory, mate, that I'll I'll never forget. I'll never forget the feeling of that. Um, very very cool moment. That's Paddy Mills on episode 95 of the show. Great to hear so many of you have been discovering the back catalogue of the show. Luke Longley, wow, the downloads on that has been going gangbusters back on episode 39. Great to hear that some of you are listening to a few you may have missed along the way. That is super cool. All right, let's get back to Craig. On, on, I've got a couple of questions for you here. I asked Chris Scott, the Geelong coach, um, and he said how difficult he found it. How do you go about the conversation that, there's no room left for you at the club to a player. I, I have, I have no, if, what to tell a player that he's not wanted, that what you're saying, yeah? Yep. Uh, I, I have no trouble telling talented players that haven't worked hard enough, that have taken shortcuts, that they're, they're gone. I have, I have no problem doing that. I don't. But one of, one of the things I don't like about my role is when I've got to tell someone that they're, we have to release them or we are releasing them when they probably haven't relied on their talent, that they've worked really, really hard and they've tried their hardest, but they they just they just quite haven't got, got it or, you know, like that we just need to let them go for other reasons. That breaks my heart. If someone's worked their guts out and we, we can't fit them in, that, that hurts me telling them. But it, when I've got... You know, talented players that just haven't worked hard enough. Like at the end of the day, you've made your own bed in here. You know, you, you can sleep in it. One of the great things about watching the Melbourne Storm is watching you in the commentary box, Craig. Something uh, in the coaching box. Something I really enjoy. In a, in a typical game, how many f bombs get released? Do you reckon in the coaching box in a Melbourne Storm game from you? Yeah, I'm not quite sure. I hope, I hope no one's counting. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, so yeah, again, sometimes I, I you know I look at. You know, I'm watching the game and they go up to the box and I think, you dickhead, you know, what, what, what the hell are you doing, you know? But <laughs> I find it really I find it really hard not to do it. Um, I've got a little bit of a watch name the last couple of years where if I realise I'm sort of um, losing the touch, I walk up to the back of the box and take a couple of deep breaths and then, and then come back again and I'm okay. So, um, yeah, but sometimes I don't realise it early enough um, that I need to take that walk up the back. But, um, yeah, but I think it's just part of who I am and, um, yeah, I don't know, it's not a great look and I get embarrassed myself, but anyway, it is what it is. Mate, sport is in the entertainment business and if it adds to the entertainment, <laughs> then more of it, I reckon. If you Say, say you won, you win in 2017. Do you get emotional? Do you hug players, or do you just say oh, "Well yeah. done, boys"? And- yeah, oh, yeah, I'm always, I'm always, uh, yeah, you're always after grand final. A bit emotional in, in all games, you know. So, um, yeah, so it's, um, I can't remember what I've said. 2012 would have been a probably, I suppose, a little bit more emotional um, than I suppose the others. Um, in 2017. Um, again, we were pretty dominant that year, so um, yeah. So that was a real nice way to to finish the season off. So yeah, like I I, I can't really remember, but you, usually I, I give them a still like I do in other games. I, I just give them what I, what I think of of us footy wise. Then I you know usually someone's leaving, so we have a bit of a, a cheer for them. And yeah, you know, seventeen was um, you know Cooper was leaving after that. You know, so that that was. Very emotionally, you know, he was a wonderful player here for a, a long period of time, and you know, and what a champion he is. He, you know, he finished, he finished with two grand finals as well. You know, so um, yeah. So when so, you say it's emotional, do, like, uh, are you emotional? Do you tear up when you're farewelling a bloke like Cooper Cronk? Yeah. Or you? T- yeah, I really. I don't think I cry, but yeah, I, I don't know whether again whether I tear up, but I certainly I feel it. I feel it. Yeah, without doubt, and I um. Yeah, I've got no problem with giving the guy a hug. I'm not that old. So, um, at the end of the day, some of them old blokes wouldn't have done that uh, back in my time. But, um, yeah, like those guys that, you know, have been with a long time and, and you know, things like the, the, you know, the salary cap year and that, that, that you know, while it, it, it could have, the place could have exploded, it could have pulled us apart, it, it really, you know, brought us together. Um you know, you know, sometimes during that year there was obviously, you know, 
there's a lot of different things happening, but we all went through that together and we all survived and the club survived. So, um, you know, there's a real emotional thread tying us all up there. How have you learnt to deal with disappointment? Let's put it in the eyes of the 2018 grand final when you were, I think you were down maybe 18 nil at half time. The club didn't play by any stretch its best game for the season on grand final day. How, how do you go when you drive home that night or get home the next day? There it is, it's over. Yeah, I usually, yeah, especially like grand finals, you're in the, you lose one of them, you know, usually in, a, usually in the cave for about you know, three or four days before you come out, you know. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's tough, you know, and, you know, some guys can, um, you know, can look at the positive side and move on. Like it takes me a little bit to get over, you know, a, a disappointing loss. Um, you know, and that was disappointing because we played really poorly in, in the first 40 minutes. You know, we steered the ship in the second forty, but that, that's, that's too late. You know, and um, yeah. So at the end of the day, our preparation obviously wasn't as good as it could have been, or we wouldn't have started like that. So I was sort of looking for reasons, you know, why that was, I suppose. And you know, at the end of the day, I, I need to I need to have a, a look in the mirror first and foremost. Um, you know, because I'm, um, you know, I'm the one most responsible for our preparation. So, um, yeah, that took me a little bit of, of getting over. But I'll tell you that, when I sort of talked about, you know, this week, the biggest disappointment or the, the most, the loss that I, I found really tough and it took me more getting over than any other loss when we lost the prelim final in 2011. That was, again, the year after salary cap year and, you know, we won a minor premiership with a team that, with all due respect to those guys, lacked a lot of talent, but had a whole heap of heart. And we got beat um, in the prelim final. And look at them celebrate. Well deserved. There will be no sequel to the Battle of Brookvale between Manly and Melbourne. You know, I was, you know, it took me about, I couldn't get out of, out of bed the next day, to be quite honest. That's how, you know, how hard it hit me. And, you know, I thought after, you know, why did it hit me so hard? And, I think it was because, you know, those guys had battled so hard and I really felt sorry for them that they didn't, you know, make a grand final that year. But what they'd done for the club, I was so proud of them, but so disappointed for them. And, um, yeah, so it is hard sometimes, you know, um, you know losses. At, at, the end of, at the end of the day, you know, sometimes you just got to, you know, understand that losing a footy game, even though it is a big game, there's a lot of other things going on in the world that... Uh, and people in those situations are in a lot worse uh, situation. So um, just got to move on and, um, you know, try and be better. The big three, obviously, uh, whenever you think Melbourne Storm and you think you, you think the big three, Cronk and Slater and Smith, and you've, you've seen them up close for a long, long time. Um, and this could be a 20-minute answer, but give me a brief answer on the three of them. Um, a brief answer, a 20-second answer. What makes... Cameron Smith so good. And it's down to business for the 400th time in his NRL career. The like of this we've never seen. How do you prepare yourself for a game with this sort of entrance and reception? The great one, Cameron Smith. Um, basically for him, he's um, he's very cool, calm and collected. You know, what you see is what you get. And it doesn't matter what situation he's in. Um he, he doesn't get stressed about too much and um, he can handle, obviously he's, a, he's, a, he's got a great handle on our game and, and life in general, to be quite honest. He's always balanced. He's, he never tips you know, one way or the other, um, but just his calmness and um, his, his, his footy smarts, that, that's what make, makes him the player he is. And um, like I say, he just seems to be able to handle any situation uh, very coolly, calmly. Calm. Billy Slater, why was he so good? Darren Lockout, he kicks. Slater's picked it up. Was he onside? Slater down the ground. He kicks again. He'll get there. He's over. Billy Slater, he has scored one of the great Origin tries. He was a little bit the opposite, Billy. He was very, <laughs> very excitable, um, especially early in his career. But, you know, he, he, he always was that. You know, he always had that bit of ex- excitement about him. But... Um, Billy's, you know, work rate or 
his, I suppose his appetite for training and his appetite for learning. He was always trying new things. You know, he, I, you know I've been been around a lot of footy clubs and seen a lot of pre-seasons. I've never seen Billy Slater have a pre-season um, like he did the first year I come here and he didn't have a contract then. He was fighting for a contract and I've never seen a guy um, put in a pre-season like that. So that, that just showed me that he wanted it so bad. He was, you know, he was willing to, you know, to, to train like that. But um, he's, he's, every time he went out on the field or in, on, on the training paddock, it was always 100% for Bill. There was no dip in your toe when it was all, um, uh, you know, boots and all. And uh, sometimes, you know, he used to practice things that I thought, well, that's a bit over the top, but, you know, he'd practice it until he got it right or he'd practice it until I said, hey, no, that's, that, that, that's a low percentage, that's out. But um, he's, got a, he's got a very... Um, Oh, what, what, you know, he's, he's always thinking of things, always thinking of things. And um, that's what you, you love about him. He's, he's willing to, you know, I suppose, take a risk here and there. Um, I mean, he's a little bit um, different in, in that way, but always looking at new ways of doing things. And he's always willing to put his hand up and, and work his ass off. And Cooper? There's Smith now behind the two block runners. Here's Cronk. Cronk for the line. He's over. Yeah, I think, you know, Cooper... Well, I don't know whether this is a good description. I think Cooper's, you know, as a person, as a, a footy player, is sort of in between Billy and, and, and Cameron. He's sort of got Cameron's coolness, but he's also got a, a wonderful work ethic, you know. Like, Cooper wasn't a halfback. He didn't grow up a halfback. Usually halfbacks in our game, that they're like a quarterback in the NFL. You know, they've been halfbacks all, yep. all their life. You know, Cooper started being halfback when he was 21, 22. So to learn the game like he did and to... Um, refine the skills of a halfback like he did in such a short period of time took a whole heap of dedication, commitment and a whole heap of work. And, um, you know, in late, you know, as he, you know, got the first two or three years of that and, you know, he was, he's, his ability to control the game, um, you know, was quite remarkable for a guy that, that, that didn't grow up, you know, in, in that position. So while he had a wonderful, wonderful work work ethic, he also had a real, you know, calmness when he got confident, you know, playing in that position. You're now going to get the hardest question in the podcast, Craig, so set yourself. You've been bloody good with your time, but now you get my eight-year-old son. <laughs> uh, but this is a tough one, um, uh, and he knows a bit about rugby league. Um his nickname is the Big Penguin. Big Penguin. Um, yes. Where the Big Penguin gets these questions from, I don't know. But this, um, good luck with this one. Good luck with this one, Craig. This could cause a headline. So just be a touch careful. I know you're very good with the media, but be careful. Hi, Craig. Big Penguin here. Go the storm. My three favourite foods are pasta, pizza and ice cream. If I had to choose one, hmm, that's tricky, but I'd choose pizza. If you had to choose Smith, Cronk or Slater, which one would you choose? You can only choose one. <laughs> Good luck not causing a headline, I Coach. Don't, I don't want to cause a headline here at all. I, 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 you know, like I think the big three is, you know, we had a big four there for a while. We, you know, Greg was with us. But the big three, I, I really, they were at their best when they were with each other. So to me, I, I, I like to look at them. As, as a unit, as, as one, um, not, you know, as a, you know, Cameron was this or and Cooper was that and Billy was something else. Um, yeah, that, that's too tough a question. And um, <laughs> like I say, I'll ju- I just like to, you know, just very thankful that every day I thank the lucky stars that, um, you know, these guys were at the club when, you know, I've been the case because not only were they, you know, great players, they're, they're great guys to have around and, um, you know, and even in, you know, two of them's retirement, you know, that they're still still great guys and they'll always be great guys and um, obviously, you know, they give a lot of people a lot of joy over a long period of time and, um, yeah, for, the, the amazing thing for me about all of them is their quality over such a long period of time. You know, to play the footy at the standard they did over such a long period of time, you know, it was quite amazing. And um, the club was so lucky to have them. But I always say, you know, the club recruited those guys as kids and the club 
got a reward. They didn't they didn't buy them. You know, when they'd had, you know, 50 games of first grade or 100 games of first grade, they, they got them all as kids and, um, you know, uh, their development, you know, they, they had a lot to do with their own development, to be quite honest. But having said that, you know, I just like to think of, of the big three and, um, you know, what they achieved with us, but what they achieved um, for the game as a whole, you know, for Queensland and Australia, you know, I, I don't know whether there's ever going to be another three, three like them. So that will be interpreted by my eight-year-old, the big penguin, as he is now allowed to have pizza, pasta and ice cream because you've chosen all three and he will. Hey, um, a couple of ones before I let you go. Um, you contracted for another couple of years and we're not about headlines in this show. So whether this is in three years, five years, ten years, have, have you thought about what you're going to do when, when you step away, what, what's going to keep you happy? And I know you're a grandfather, which I'm sure is putting a smile on your face, but but where was we talked about transitioning from some footy to coaching, where are you going to transition to next? Yeah, I think, you know, I don't want to just go from what I'm doing now and, you know, just in, in full-time retirement. I'd like to be able to do, you know, have a couple of days or, you know, like, a, I don't know, part-time, whatever. You know, I'd just like to um, be involved somewhere with something. Um, I think, you know, I've learned a fair bit about a few things, you know, while I've, you know, throughout <laughs> my footy career, but certainly, you know, as, as, as a head coach, you know, you, you know, you learn by, you know, learn by, you know, watching other people, you know, do what they do. You learn by um, sometimes you get a gut feeling and you get it right and sometimes you get a gut feeling and you get it wrong, you know, so you learn by your mistakes along along the way and you learn, learn by things that you did well as well. So, um, you know, I think I've, you know, I've, I've got a, a little bit of knowledge on a few things. So I'd like to be, be involved in some way, um, you know, helping an organisation, whether it's a sporting organisation, um, you know, I suppose, you know, leadership and, and culture, are, are things that are big for us at the Storm. And, um, you know, as I said, you know, um, I've got my own ideas on, you know, how you can, you know, I suppose develop the culture and, you know, what's it look like and, and maintaining a culture, but also, um, you know, what I think good leaders, how they do lead. Um, you know, my ideas on that are probably a little bit different to most. And I, again, you know, what you mentioned earlier, I think most of that comes from just simplifying things a little bit. I think sometimes we get a little bit too complicated in, uh, in those things as well. So hopefully I'll, um, you know, I'll be able to, you know, do a little bit with, you know, some companies or teams or whatever, just helping out a little bit uh, without, you know, the being, being in their boots and all um, all day, every day. So, um, yeah, and hopefully I'll, you know, get a little bit more chance to play a little bit more golf and, and uh, hopefully uh, I might be living um, somewhere uh, near a beach and um, go for a swim a little bit more often than I do down here. And your grandfather, how much, how much um, joy has? What, what, yeah. are, what are you? Are you grandpa? Are you pa? What, what, what are your role uh, as? That's a good story too. Um, my son, he's he's got the three grandkids, and um, his partner was taught all. The, well, there's a four year old, two and a half year old, and a ten week old, and um, she has taught the older two to call me poops. So, which uh, didn't go down so well for start, but um, that's what it is now. So, uh, poops this and poops that. So, uh, but they're, I, you know, they're, they're, they're um, yeah, I suppose they give you a little bit of a shot in the arm in, in life, to be quite honest. Um, I never really thought about being a grandfather or, you know, how it would affect me or how you think about it. But, um, yeah, it gives you a bit of a boost and uh, love uh, being around them and, and them being part of my life and me being part of their life but um, through this stage we haven't been seeing them too much unfortunately but um, I'm sure uh, I'll be very happy when I get to see them again and I'm, hopefully they'll be happy to see Poops again So you've gone from belly act to Poops I don't think it's a step up mate <laughs> Hasn't been too many uh, nice nicknames uh, <laughs> come throughout my time Howie I tell you As I let you go um, we, we have a lot of um, we have a lot of kids listen to this show and a lot with their with their parents on the way to rugby league training or footy or cricket or soccer or to play the piano or be a guitarist or be a scientist. Um, what's one bit of advice you would give to kids who want to succeed in 
what they're trying to achieve in their life, coach? Uh, again, just go back to that hard work and just, you know, make sure, you know, you're not going to, no one's these days, well, no one's ever give you, um, you know, give you anything, you know, on a silver platter. You've, you've got to go and earn it. You've got to go and work for it. But the one thing I would say to kids, find out, find what you're passionate about and then go and work hard at that because it, it won't be hard work. If you're passionate about a certain subject, a certain thing, that's what you and I often tell, you know, players, you know, if, if, if there's something that you are passionate about in your life, you know, especially young players, go and do that. Go and do that. You know, if you don't, don't be playing rugby league because your mum and dad expects you, you know, to be playing rugby league or your, um, you know, your, your brothers and sisters or your schoolmates. Do what you're passionate about because then it won't be a chore. It won't be hard work. If you're passionate about some, put your energy into that. And besides, um, you know, finding something that you enjoy, you'll you'll, you'll be good at it. And um, that that that's a big thing for me. Just find what you're passionate about, and then and then go and get it. Craig, um, I've been looking forward to this for a long, long time. Now that I know we don't need to operate by email, I know things how to work a lot smoother with you. I really, really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your journey with me and some of your thoughts on coaching. For me, it's been an absolute thrill and I really, really appreciate it. Um, hopefully the storm season is running alongside NRL really soon and you have much more success with both them and your family and moving forward. Um, you're a massive part of Melbourne um, and the NRL. It's just a treat for me to have a chat with you. Thank you very much. No, I appreciate it, Howie, and um, yeah, good fun, mate. Appreciate it. And, um uh, make sure you get the uh, pizza, pasta and ice cream tonight, okay? So all in one. <laughs> Spot on. Thank right. you very much. Cheers, Thanks, Craig. Bye-bye. Craig Bellamy, how much would you love to be coached by him? Calm, straight-talking and passionate. I am tremendously appreciative that Craig gave me some of his time and was happy to talk about anything. Thanks to or someone that shall remain unnamed, but who gave me some tremendous background on Craig and filled in a lot of the blanks for me. He knows who he is, so thanks, mate. Well done to Das, as always, for keeping us rolling along, and to Kim Norman and her sales team at Podcast One, who are doing a stellar job. They just keep moving forward. So thanks to all the guys on that team. But of course, my biggest thanks goes to you all out there for listening. Thanks for giving the show your support and some of your time. Until next week with Fremantle captain Nat Five, whose ep may be even better than his footy, if that's possible. Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. Try, try, try Listener